We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, I'm Georgine Rice. This week, we'll talk about renewal with fresh appreciation for the gospel. That message is itself the power of God. And we'll glean from Martin Luther's wisdom. The way to progress in the Christian life is always to begin again. You go back to the gospel. We'll talk about renewal in our marriages. Sometimes our attention can get on different things, and then there becomes this natural drift. And in our families, with one family's effort to get their kids away from their screens. What you're actually doing is you're resetting the dopamine levels in your kids' brains. And the good fruit born as a result. They were playing with the toys on their shelves. They were playing with each other. Their creativity exploded. I'm Georgine Rice, and I'm glad to be with you once again. I'm coming to you from the Pacific Northwest and my home station of KPDQ in Portland. I'm also live in Seattle on 820 AM, The Word. Catch the stream of the program at kpdq.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin and end with Renewal. It's a special program that I hope you'll enjoy and benefit from. But I also hope you'll share it with someone in your world who may also benefit from some aspect of today's content. It's still early enough in the new year for many of us to think about what we'd like to do more of or less of and what changes we'd like to make. When it comes to renewal or the consideration of anything you'd like to change, anything worth changing, it really begins with Christ. For without me, Christ says in the Gospel of John, you can do nothing. So we'll start with Jesus and his glorious gospel. J.D. Greer is a pastor in North Carolina, and he's the author of Above All, the Gospel is the Source of the Church's Renewal. J.D. was a guest of Greg Laurie, who was sitting in as host on KKLA in Los Angeles. So listen, I want to dive right in because we're talking about the gospel and how to share the gospel. And you start your book with uh, a provocative statement. You say, and I quote, Bible-based Christianity is dead. Now, why would some people choose to believe that, J.D.? <laughs> well, let's be clear, Greg. That's not me. That's not what I mean. <laughs> but you're saying <laughs> but you, you started your book that way. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes for a whole different radio program. That's my first name. But, you know, it's just, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but, you know, if you're watching, whether it's CNN or whether it's any of the news yeah. pundits, it's like, hey, this is something that it no longer has power. It no longer works. If you want to reach the next generation— um, then, then, then you've got to change. You've got to change or you can just put yourself on the wrong side of history and be prepared to yeah. recede into the dustbin of history. And, you know, it's one of the things that as a pastor, and I know this is way Harvest is, Greg, having been out there, um, you know, I see very different evidence of that in yeah. the um, just the, the vibrancy of, of gospel faith in the next generation. And I was just very burdened about 
um, trying to give a call to say, hey, folks, I know this sounds obvious, but the gospel has the same power it had when Jesus walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago and when God turned the world upside down in the book of Acts. That's the same gospel that we have today, and we need to, we need to, we need to cherish it and, and hold it. It's not that the gospel's changed. It's, it's that we've changed, and that's what, where the breakdown in power is. When you mentioned uh, that there is power in the gospel, and you mentioned the Greek word dunamis, or we get the word dynamite from, there really is explosive power in this message. And one of the things you put forward in your book is we need a recovery of the gospel. Maybe you could just, for someone who's listening and maybe doesn't even know what we're talking about, maybe define the gospel, for starters, and then tell us how and why we should recover it. Yeah, so the gospel, I mean, it just means literally in Greek, it means good news. It was an announcement um, that Jesus had done everything necessary to save us, that there was nothing that we needed to add to it. When he died on the cross, he died for the sins of every single person that's ever lived. He rose from the dead, offering new life to all who will embrace it and receive it by faith. It's not a message. It's not advice. It's not good advice about how we ought to live. Mm -hmm. It's a declaration. It's news about what Jesus did. And what Paul says, and you alluded to that in that quote from Romans, is he says that that message is itself the power of God. You know, um, one of the things I try to to flesh out in the book is the gospel is the only thing, the only thing in all of Scripture outside of Jesus himself that is referred to directly as the power of God. Wow. And that means that if we ever unmoor our lives from it, if we, our churches or ministries, if our lives drift away from it, it means we are separating ourselves from, from the power of God. Martin Luther, you know, the great reformer who saw, you know, probably the largest awakening, um, his, his writings and preaching led to the largest awakening we've, you know, seen in Christian history since the Apostle Paul. Martin Luther, you know, he said that the way to progress in the Christian life is always to begin again. He meant that you go back to the gospel. It's not by the gospel, he said, it's like a well. You don't get the best water from the well by, you know, widening the circumference of your well. You, you get the best water by going deeper into the well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I found in that preaching and teaching and my own you know, spiritual life is that it's not that I need to know um, a lot of other doctrines, a lot of other facts, and a lot of other strategies. Uh, those things are, are great, but but what I really even need is to have the gospel driven down deeper into my soul, because yes. the deeper I go into the gospel, the more alive I come in Christianity. And so it's, it's, it's this idea that if we can put the gospel, if it can really be above all in all of our preaching and teaching and living, then it puts us in touch with a power that we can't get from any other place. Very true. You know, in your book, you say this, quote, the gospel is more important than our progress. The gospel is more important than our preferences. The gospel is more important than our priorities. The gospel is more important than our politics. The gospel is more important than, then there's a blank. And, you know, there's just, <laughs> it seems to me that there's a lot of things that become more important to people than the gospel. And I don't understand why that is, because to me, it is something that has been forgotten by many, even in the church. And and I don't know why we allow other things to dominate our life. You know, people will get more fired up about politics or more fired up about their hobbies or more excited about the latest movie that's coming out than they are about the fact right. that Jesus can save sinners from hell and transform lives. Apart from your relationship with Christ, assuming, of course, that you are a believer, you know there is no relationship more central, more vital than marriage. Marriage is, after all, the picture Scripture uses to describe Christ's relationship to His church, with the church as the bride of Christ. 
That said, marriage is not only important, marriage is foundational. Our friends at Focus on the Family have been encouraging couples to resist the drift. Aaron Smalley of Focus joined Rick Probst of Faith Talk on 970 in Atlanta. Kind of define what is the drift. I know Mm -hmm. there can be different things to it. It's not always unfulfilled needs, maybe. It could be just life. But let's talk about the trip. Describe it for us. Well, you think about when you start dating and you're pursuing someone romantically, you spend a lot of time focusing on them. And when you get married, often what happens, couples start focusing on careers or having a family or running a household, church responsibilities, you know, on and on. And sometimes our attention can get on different things. And then there becomes this natural drift that begins with for that couple. And the the great news is you don't have to experience that drift if you resist the drift. And I know Greg and I experienced this probably around eight years into our marriage. Okay. Suddenly I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm married to a roommate and I don't know a single person, including myself, that got married to have a roommate because all of us have had more than likely roommates. And so we get married with this longing to be deeply connected, deeply known within this relationship. And then when life gets going, we're busy and we're exhausted, we're worn out, sometimes we stop pursuing and that drift begins. How would how does a spouse say, you know what, I think there's a drift. How do you communicate to your spouse being the, the husband or the wife? Right. Because, you know, I got to be honest, if my wife came to me and said there's a drift, I go, oh, no, no, there's no drift. It's all good. And, and I would say that's what's key, Rick, is how do we present it? I don't know that I did it all that great back, you know, we're even married 31 years now. So 23 years ago, going to Greg and saying, gosh, I feel like roommates. So one way to do it that might be more successful than how I did it, <laughs> go to your spouse and say, gosh, I'm feeling some distance here. And I really, really want to feel connected to you. What can we do? to really spend more time together, to connect at that deeper emotional level, maybe talk through some conflict that hasn't gone well, whatever it is that's getting in the way of feeling connected, then how do we address that? And just letting them know, I really want to be connected to you. And that sounds to me like you're not putting the other person on defense because you know how that that happens in couples' lives. Yes. Because we know each other so well as as partners, as husband and wife, that if there's something said, you're like, well, wait, what do you mean by that? Right. And very common for the defensiveness to rise up. And so I always say, as a marriage and family counselor, I'm all, I'm always encouraging people to really look at how can you say this in the way that is going to lead you to what you really want? And so it's good to know what is it that I'm really wanting? Well, I'm wanting connection. I'm, I don't like the disconnection or the drift. So what can, how can I say this in a way that's more than likely going to be received well? Love that. Aaron, you and Greg have no doubt uh, seen so many folks, their lives just uh, on, on the right track after a Resist the Drift conference. Can you give us a, maybe a quick story here? You know, I was, we were in Phoenix, Arizona this last weekend. And we, we go down and we visit with people in between sessions. And I had a couple come up. And it was interesting because they said, you know, we're not in crisis, but we definitely have drifted. A lot of people will say we're we're roommates, 
but we're committed. We love each other, but that's not what we want. And so they said, you know, gosh, being here and having some of the conversations, because we encourage the couples that to take what we're saying, and then we'll give them, you know, two minutes, have this quick conversation started at least so they can finish it later on. Um, they said just having these conversations actually has made us realize that we should have been having these conversations all along. And so they actually, they loved being at the event and they were asking, gosh, is there more that we could be doing? And they talked about going to uh, the marriage intensive program that Focus on the Family has called Hope Restored. And they said, you know, we're not in crisis, but after this, we just realized we want more. We want to live this last season of our marriage out well. But if they realize like, you know what, we really want to do more work on our marriage. Maybe it's um, seeking out marriage counseling from a licensed Christian counselor. The really amazing thing about Focus on the Family, we have a referral network across the country. So they can call 1-800, the letter A, family, F-A-M-I-L-Y, and get a referral for a marriage counselor in their area. Or if they realize like we are stuck, we're in crisis, um, Focus on the Family offers a marriage intensive program called Hope Restored and hoperestored.com. Um, all the information is on there and it's an, an amazing um, event or uh, retreat because um, 80% of the couples that go through it end up staying together long term. Coming up, one family's effort to rest their kids back from their screens. What you're actually doing is you're resetting the dopamine levels in your kids' brains. Renewal in family life when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Parenting today is challenging. Whether you're raising little ones or teenagers or anything in between, a multitude of forces are competing for your kids' attention. And if that weren't enough, our system of education is increasingly hostile to the Christian worldview. And in the mix are all of our devices, all of the screens, screaming for your kids' attention. And yes, they're screaming for your attention, too. So we're going to turn to a very powerful episode of Focus on the Family, where Molly DeFrank joined Jim Daly and John Fuller to talk about zombified kids. Well, listen, I shared that alarming statistic about the average usage of technology for children, seven hours, over seven hours, almost seven and a half hours. Uh, what kind of impact is this excessive usage? And some people may say, is that excessive? I don't know. But it is. Just let's start there. But what kind of impact is that having on the kids? Oh, it is huge, Jim. You know, you don't really have to go far to find an expert that's going to tell you that this is a problem for our kids. It's affecting them in so many ways. This digital entertainment is actually rewiring their brains. It's numbing them out instead yeah. of helping them to connect with human beings. Um, it's preventing them from being able to cope with everyday setbacks. Um, the opportunity costs are enormous. It, it's also a huge part of it is what are kids not doing? What talents are they not honing? What what um, skills are they not practicing? Um, it's actually really interesting, the research that's coming out 
kids are starting to develop something they're identifying as virtual autism, huh. where, where young kids are presenting like they're autistic. But upon closer scrutiny, it's not autism. It's just that they've been so numbed out on their devices that they aren't experiencing, you know, running around outside. So they're not behaving socially in a normal way. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. or I understand that. It's really terrible. And parents are starting to see it. You know, 85% of parents say that their kids' relationship with their devices is stressing them out. So if you're listening and that's you, please just know that you're not alone. You're actually in the majority of parents. And the good news is that you don't have to stress about this. You don't have to wring your hands. You can just roll up your sleeves. And with a couple simple steps, I want to help you get in front of this and get back in the driver's seat when it comes to your kids' technology use in your home. Let's start there. Uh, You had the aha moment. Describe what was going on in the family and that moment you went, Okay, we got to get a hold of this. Yeah. Well, like most parents whose kids were born in maybe 2010, that that time period, you know, the iPhone came out in 2007, the iPad came out in 2011, and we really bought into the marketing. And the marketing said, hey, if you want to raise little rocket scientists, give them technology early and often. And so we did. I remember I had a little um, iPad case for the back of my uh, driver's seat so my kids could be entertained. But like most parents, I started to see as the, the years went on, hmm, where are those little rocket scientists? Instead, what I'm seeing is epic meltdowns. You know, it was like zombies of kindergartners going yeah. on in the home when you take away the screen. And so we're, we're left scratching our heads like, what, what, what's going on? What went wrong? Meanwhile, the thing we weren't told is that the very people who create this technology wouldn't let their kids near it. They're some of the strictest parents because they yeah. know what it does. So back to us and our family. Um we bought in. My kids played with the devices. They they did it. I thought we were responsible. We were one to two hours a day of digital entertainment for our kids. And still, we saw these negative effects. One day, I came home from running errands, and one of my sweet little babies greeted me at the door, not with, hi, mommy, but can I play on your phone? Yeah, where's your phone? Where's your phone? Exactly. <laughs> like, I was this gatekeeper to the, their next fix of dopamine. So that was it for me. That was the last straw. So I called my husband at work, and I said, hey... I think we need to pull the plug on all of it. I think we should take a break. And, you know, he was in the office full time. I'm at home. I'm homeschooling two of the kids. It's I had two three-year-olds, a new foster place. It wasn't a good time to take this on. But my husband said, absolutely, if you're in, I'm in. Let's do it. So we told the kids that night at dinner. We were eating dinner, and we said, hey, guys, we just want to let you know we're trying something new. You're not in trouble for anything, but until further notice, we're not doing any digital entertainment. So no YouTube, no Netflix no Nintendo Switch, all of it, we're taking a break. And would you believe it? It it didn't go over very well. <laughs> they didn't celebrate? No. <laughs> you know, it was some weeping and gnashing of teeth sort of coming from the dinner table. They were crying. It was one of those parenting moments where you're like, did I make a terrible mistake? What have I done? What is it, What is this going to mean for us? And by far, that was the hardest part of the entire detox. So Initiation. rest assured, it was the breaking the news to the kids. That's yeah. the worst part. So we, we told the kids, you know, we're just going to try it at something new. Um, and by the, the time morning rolled around, the kids knew, like, do not even ask. You will be met with a chore if you ask for a device. So they didn't. And I couldn't believe it. We woke up the next morning. They were playing with the toys on their shelves. They were playing with each other. They started making up, inventing games. They made currency out of pebbles outside and right. they started their own little t- they just their creativity the, right. exploded the imagination exploded yeah exactly that's so I, I give gene credit because we you know we weren't uh, our kids were born in 2000 and 2002 
So they, right when smartphones were coming out, they were old enough to say, hey, can I have one of those? And we delayed that for the longest time. I think I think Trent received a smartphone at 17 because he needed directions to drive. And because Troy was there at 15, he got that at the same time. So 17 and 15, which I thought was great advice we had gotten. Just yeah. delay it as long as you can. But the other thing that she did, I mean, we shut off cable. We got rid of TV. That was a little tough for a football fan like me. But we did it, and probably for like 10 years. I mean, it was a long time. But she said what she observed was exactly what you observed. I mean, they played. Their imagination came alive. They'd go four or five hours playing together with Legos and other things. And that's good. Absolutely. It's incredible. And you don't really appreciate how much our kids are being numbed out and how much their imaginations are being stunted until you go through this digital detox. Yeah. Uh, You have a model, uh, an acronym, UNDO. Let's start there. Explain what UNDO is, and then we'll get into each of the letters, U-N-D-O. So what what do they stand for? Yeah. So every successful detox that I've helped parents with has these four components. You can remember it with that acronym. So the U stands for unplug, cold turkey, two weeks. Okay. A lot of times parents will say, well, can we just you know, cut down on the consumption? Can we just keep, you know, maybe one show a day, 30 minutes of screen time? No. So let me explain why. Um, First of all, if you have a little bit of screen time, a little bit of gaming waiting for your child at the end of the day, they're just going to be buying time until they get there. They're going to be moping around waiting to get that fix. So what you want to do is you want to clear it out. You want to, you want them to realize, okay, for two weeks, I don't have another option, so I better figure something out. And you want those wheels to start turning. Okay, the second reason is what you're actually doing is you're resetting the dopamine levels in your kids' brains. Hmm. This is the piece that I didn't know when we detoxed our kids, and this is why it's so effective. So, you know, dopamine is that neurotransmitter. Um, It's that feel-good chemical that's released in the brain when we experience anything pleasurable, enjoyable. So, you know, eating a delicious bite of chocolate cake, dopamine is released. Well, these geniuses in Silicon Valley have taken what we know about dopamine and they've engineered it into their games, into their apps that our kids are playing all day. And so there's so much dopamine getting released in the brain that dopamine receptors are actually numbing out. Well, why does that matter? It's because now when your kid puts down the device and tries to enjoy real life, they can't. They're not getting the same dopamine hit that they do from their devices. So that's why your kids say, oh, that's reading is boring or playing outside is boring. So it's not entirely their fault. It's there's a physiological change happening. And when you take it away completely cold turkey for two weeks, you're resetting those levels. You're giving your kids a chance to appreciate nature, to appreciate real life, to appreciate downtime. Coming up, unlocking your kid's brain. What's going on in that little brain of theirs? You know, What makes them tick? How are they uniquely wired by God? What are their talents? What are their interests? And you are going to feed those things. More with Focus and Molly DeFrank when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. 
Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Georgine Rice. U-N-D-O. That's the acronym Molly DeFrank uses to help parents renew their relationships with their kids. The U in undo is for unplugging. Let's pick up on Jim Daly and Molly DeFrank of Focus on the Family's Conversation. Molly, we've got unplugging. Okay, what's the N in undo? The N is my favorite part of the detox. It's notice your kids like never before. So you already know your kids better than probably anyone on the planet. But what you're going to do is now you've removed this filter of passive numbing out for your kids. And you're going to zoom in and see what's going on in that little brain of theirs. You know, what makes them tick? How are they uniquely wired by God? What are their talents? What are their interests? And you are going to feed those things. So let me give you an example. Before our digital detox, my three oldest kids... If you ask them, what are your favorite things to do for fun? Each of them would name a different video game. And I thought, well, that's fine. That's normal. That's how kids play these days. Well, after our detox, they would each name a different sport or drawing comic books or doing Legos. And I got to know them so much better. I got to know how they're wired, what they're good at, how God designed them. And then I got to feed those interests. So it's really incredible. You're going to get to know your kids better than ever. And the other piece of that is getting to know their vulnerabilities a little better. So if you have a kid who, let's say you've got a 13, 14 year old who gets anxiety talking on the phone to grandma or whoever, or they can't make small talk with the, the checker at the grocery store, you know, kids these days are not getting those experiences. So how can we put our kids in situations to practice those things that historically kids have been able to practice, um, taking those risks and helping to flex those muscles for them? So it's really fun thing we get to do as parents to cultivate our kids. And these things are so subtle that we may not even notice them, actually, that they're not developing those skills, those normal human behaviors that, you know, they should. So that's really critical. Okay, we have the U and the N. What about the D? Okay, the D is develop a list of screen-free fun ideas. So shortly after you break the news to your kids about the detox, which I mentioned, brace for impact. It can be a little stressful, but you're going to be okay. You're going to sit down with your kids. You're going to bring a delicious treat, make it fun, bring a great attitude, even if you're a little stressed. And you're going to make a list of ideas for what they can do during this detox. And the purpose of making the list is really twofold. The first is that if you're, you know, down in the trenches there, and I'm with you, parents, I am in the trenches. I got six kids. They're, (laughs) uh, you know, seven to 14. So I get it completely when, when everything is stressful. But when the days get really hard and you're in that pressure cooker, sometimes you're taking a call from the boss or you're, you're trying to get stuff done around the house and your kids are whining, you're going to be tempted to give in and say, oh, just take the tablet or just put on a show. And so when you get in front of that by making this list, brainstorming ideas with your kids, you slap that puppy up on the fridge and you tell your kids when they say, I'm bored, they're getting stressed out. You say, look, I have to take this call. I have to make the doctor's appointment. You can choose something from the list. You can make something else up. You can do a chore. Okay, those are the options. And it will help you have somewhere you can go when your fuse is running a little short and you're tempted to throw in the towel. And the second reason and probably the more important reason for making the list is you're showing your kids they have everything they need in their minds to think of an idea of what to do, to to look at the beautiful world around them and think about the way they're wired and how can they even look outside themselves and, and their neighbor? How can I bless my neighbor? How can I use what I'm good at to love my neighbor, love my siblings, serve my family? And in the culture that we're in, 
you know, we're so inward focused. We're so all about creating comfort mm-hmm. and, and entertaining ourselves that it's such a beautiful opportunity to give our kids to show them a different way. Yeah. Okay. That's the U, the N, and the D. What's the O for and undo? Okay. The O is open the books. Okay. Parents, you are giving your kids the most incredible gift by instilling a love of reading in them and doing it early. A child who does not love to read has not yet met their genre. So if you're listening going, ah, well, that doesn't apply to my kid. My kid's not into books. Can I just challenge you to try again? Your job as parent during your detox is to be matchmaker for your kids. I thought before our detox, one of my kids, just not a reader. Well, it turned out I was trying to give him the same books that another one of my kid enjoyed. He doesn't like those books. So I had to move over to the children's nonfiction section. You know, joke books are actually a really great option if you've got kids who have ADHD or kids who get really frustrated. They're just learning to read through and and they're, they're struggling. So joke books, they only have to read a little snippet to experience that dopamine hit. And then it makes them want to read more. So you're building up that endurance for them. And another thing I would suggest too for parents during your detox is don't stress about their reading level. You're not trying to push them to the next level. You're trying to get them to love books. So, you know, let their teachers, you know, if you're a homeschooling mom, you can do that when you're talking about homeschool. But what you're trying to do is instill a love of story. And we are humans that are wired to love stories. So you just got to work a little harder and you can do it. You can get the link for this full episode of Focus on the Family from the program posting at our website, ChristianOutlook.com. Coming up, we'll return to marriage. We do a better job doing preventive maintenance on our vehicles than we do doing preventive maintenance on our marriages. Bob Lapine with the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. If you've been married for one year, 10, 20, or more, you and your spouse would do well to build your marriage for the long haul, to plan a marriage that will see you through to the end and with joy in the journey. Bob Lapine is familiar to many of you as the longtime co-host of Family Life Today. Well, now he's serving with Alistair Begg and Truth For Life. His book is Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness, He joined Scott Furrow on KKLA in Los Angeles to talk about best practices for a marriage that goes the distance. I think one of the great things about your new book is that you address things that are later on down the road where things that people don't expect. And I think we don't talk about it enough. The impact of experiences that we carry in our our family of origin, as you call it, and how those things affect our marriage, but we don't notice it till later. How do we recognize those things in our relationships that are brewing, that are there, but maybe we don't see it until it becomes a source of conflict? Well, I think what happens, it's like your car. You're driving one day and you notice something is just not feeling right. There's a rattle or there's a the, the steering wheel feels loose. And you think, I need to get this checked out rather than just continuing to drive and hope that it fixes itself. Uh, We do a better job 
doing preventive maintenance on our vehicles than we do doing preventive maintenance on our marriages. Mm -hmm. And so couples who have put 10,000 miles or 20,000 miles on a marriage and think there's a rattle here and I'm not sure what to do with it and they don't know where the mechanic is to go try to get help, they often just limp along and hope that it will get better. And this is where I think whether it's a book or a conference or a time with a counselor or time with your pastor, I'm meeting tonight with a couple in our church who called me a few weeks ago and said, we just feel like we need a tune-up. And I said, good for you. First of all, good for you in recognizing the issues and not just saying, well, let's not tell anybody because that would be embarrassing or shameful, but let's get some help and let's try to get get a tune-up. So we're going to sit down and talk about where the rough spots in their marriage are. And, and one of the things, you mentioned family of origin, one of the things we'll talk about is all of us learned how to get along with other people in our family of origin. We learned what relationships are supposed to look like, how to communicate, either for better or for worse. I mean, if you grew up in a home where all that happened was your your mom and dad shouted at you, then what you learned growing up is that's what you do. When you get in a position of power or authority, you shout at other people. So we have these patterns that we bring into marriage without even recognizing it. And when they start to show up in a marriage, we can take one another by surprise in how we're relating to each other. Bob, what are some things that we should say to our wife or to our husband, our spouse? We've been married a while. We're dealing with the things that creep up on us that we didn't expect. You mentioned that you you go on date nights with your wife. What's some advice that you have for married couples to push through some of the challenges that come along the way? Well, I I think we have to have realistic expectations that our date nights are oftentimes an executive meeting of the family council. So it's the CEO and the COO who are getting together and we're getting out our calendars and we're talking about what's coming up and what our priorities are. And Marianne and I still do this even in the empty nest years where we uh, sit down once a week and we're, we're conferring, okay, what's coming up and what are our plans and what are the kids, who's doing what for Thanksgiving and where are we going to be? And you just have to deal with the, the mechanical part of the, the relationship. You have to do the work of communication involve. on those things. Well, it's right. And and most of that is is functional communication as opposed to relational or emotional communication. So we have to figure out how we're going to schedule uh, other times for some of that. And that may mean it's a, a day's drive rather than a date night. You mm. may have to take a Saturday and just go for a long drive and see a part of the state that you haven't seen before, but on the way there and on the way back, uh, be able to have some organic conversations that are going to come up or take a book like this in the car with you and uh, read through a chapter together and see what conversation comes up as you're, as you're in the midst of other things or running errands as, as you do them. Uh, I, I have some friends who would say, once a week, there needs to be some kind of connection point that may be an hour, an hour and a half. That may be all you get, especially with kids around the house and the cost of babysitting, all of that. But then once a quarter, you probably need a day where the two of you can get away for the day and you can do a little more in-depth conversation, not only about priorities, but figure out a way to have some fun in there to do an activity that you would both enjoy. Marianne and I recently did a sunset 
kayak cruise. Huh. Now, we're, look, we're in our 60s, right? Uh-huh. And she said, let's go kayaking on, on the river. And I'm thinking, this is what young people do. But we got out there, and we had a two-hour kayak cruise, and, and driving there and driving back and just the experience of doing it together is a part of those are shared memories, a part of how you bond together. And then my, my friends also say you, you need once a year where you get away for a couple of nights. And I know parents are thinking, how do you do that in child care? You find a way to do it. You call some other family that's got kids your age and say, look, can we trade this? We'll take your kids one weekend. You take our kids one weekend. You get away for one weekend. We'll get away. Call grandma and grandpa. Have them come and stay for a couple of days. But you need uh, – here's what I've found. It's not until – the kind of the first 24 hours have passed when Marianne and I are away that we start to relax enough to be able to have some of the conversations that we're just too busy to have the rest of the time. So that's why you've got to have some of those rhythms built in to your marriage. And you talked about the things you do say, Scott, in the, in the last part of this book, uh, I talked about the, the habits that are the, uh, the best practices for couples whose marriages are thriving because we can spend a whole lot of time talking about how you fix what's wrong, but we have to make sure that we're also building in uh, what are the positive uh, kinds of practices that are going to cause a marriage to thrive. Things like enthusiastic encouragement. We have to be cheerleaders mm-hmm. with one another. Intentional, purposeful. Uh, Marianne knows how critical, how important it is for me to hear her cheering me on even when maybe I'm not doing great. I have a friend who was a high school cheerleader, and she said, our team was terrible. We didn't win any games. And and in the fourth quarter, when the team is down by three touchdowns, and you're out there shouting, you can do it, you can do it. She goes, we're, we know they can't do it. You know, we're watching them. They can't do it. But we still cheered them on. And we when they came off the field after losing by three touchdowns, we were still there cheering them, saying, next week you'll get them. Or, you know, uh, you, you, you played really hard. We need to be doing that with one another. Coming up, more best practices with Bob Lapine. For couples who have that shared commitment to Christ, we need to make sure that that is the sun in the center of our marital solar system. In the final segment of the Christian Outlook, stay with us. AM radio provides always-on news, sports, talk, traffic, and weather reports. And it's also a vital service that provides important emergency information when your community needs it most. Tell Congress you need AM radio to stay in your car. Because when cell phones and the Internet are down, this free emergency service is critical. And when you don't have electricity, radio in the car is often your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Well, those words from Ecclesiastes 4 speak to a key aspect of marriage. Each one of us as individuals or as couples can do far more together than we might dream of doing alone. Proverbs 18 tells us, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And I found that finding a good husband is pretty good too. Let's return for a few more minutes of Scott Furrow and Bob Lapine on Lapine's book, 
Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. We need to be the cheerleaders and the encouragers. The Bible calls us, encourage one another, strengthen one another, bear one another's burdens. And I think, I think encouragement, that's just one area. Couples who, who go the distance and who thrive spend a lot of time supporting and moving in one another. That is excellent advice. And, you know, I've, I've learned that sometimes even if you don't feel like it, if you just force yourself to say it, it helps break through that. Yeah. C.S. Lewis said the best way to acquire a virtue is to pretend like you already have it. That's right. <laughs> and so he would, say, he would say, just get in the rhythm. You make it, you know, we, we say fake it till you make it. And, and I would say that nobody wants faking. But by the same token, there are some things that we can be doing as a discipline that will later grow into a habit and will become a healthy part of our marriage relationship. And you know, lastly, in the book, you talk about a best practice of common convictions. And this has a lot to do, I think, with the restoration and, and the continual growth and joy in marriage is focusing on our hope in the right place in Jesus Christ. It really does. And we can get divided over all kinds of things. I remember watching an old Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movie where they're out doing a dance routine on roller skates. And they sit down and they sing the song, you know, you say potato and I say potato, you say tomato and I say tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Mm. They, they, it's kind of a funny thing. We, we don't see anything the same way. We should call the whole thing off. Well, those really are trivial things. But couples whose marriages thrive have got their core convictions that they keep coming back to and say, you may say tomato and I may say tomato, but we both say uh, Jesus. We, we both say God's glory is what matters to us. We both say that the Bible is important. And when you're in a marriage where there's not a shared spiritual foundation, that's when it can be tough because the thing that matters most to you in your life is not something you share with your partner. And that's another book or another broadcast for another day. But for couples who have that shared commitment to Christ, we need to make sure that that is the sun in the center of our marital solar system and that everything else is revolving around that. And so we see things differently with regard to smaller things. Let's come back to what we agree on, and that is what's most important to us, and that is that God would be honored and glorified in our married relationship. Thank you for joining us for the Christian Outlook. If you enjoyed the program, how about taking just a moment to share it with a friend? You can find it at ChristianOutlook.com. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Georgine Rice. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook.